celebration day. Um, please place your offering envelopes in the offering box. Andrea is the contact number. The number's there. Days of praise booklets are in the lobby along with action packs. There will be a Christmas music program after today's morning, morning worship. Praise progression. has been made on the portico. <clears throat> there will be a dinner today after the services in the fellowship hall. Um, and then could we please stand and, and um, I have a, an update on Ida. Phil just called me. Um, overnight her O2 level on her machine was able to be pushed down to 70% and her body's still holding where it's supposed to be. Knees are failing. So they are putting in a catheter, something or other, Dan will know, but it's not, it does, he didn't say dialysis, it's a catheter to work as her kidneys. Um, without it, she will not last long. Um, but they're hoping to get her through this and they don't know if it's gonna be permanent or um, permanent damage to her kidneys or temporary. They think it's because of COVID and the meds that she's been on together. I just told them up in prayer they were gonna do that procedure and putting the catheter on this morning and they were gonna, he's, he's at home because here he doesn't have very much service and he needs to be there to make approvals for procedures and stuff. So he's waiting for the phone call at home. So that's it. Scripture for meditation is Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, page 1072. 
please stand for opening prayer. Matthew 2, 1 through 15, page. Oh, we're okay, sorry. <laughs> I got everything goofed up. Okay. Doing the hymn. singing from here. Yeah, that one's not working. Okay. It's all good. standing for this one. The, um, the, we don't have a, a congregational hymn this morning. Uh, Pastor picked all the hymns, and I promised Andrew he could be today, but Andrew, next week, I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, turn to 225 in the Trinity. <coughs> and excuse my voice, I have a tickle, so sing louder.
Thank you. You may be seated. One through fifteen. Matthew two, one through fifteen, that's page fourteen ninety-seven in your Pew Bible. Now after Jesus now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the King of the Jews. Priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Remain there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. We take your Trinity hymnal once again and turn to number 203, 203. <laughs> 
Scripture text is Matthew chapter 2, verse 15 verses. associated with the advent of the Christ child. The strange them to follow, which they did. to direct them to the little town of Bethlehem in Judea. For Christ till we find him. What is more, their search demonstrates employed to aid them in their quest and how necessary it is for God to intervene if we are ever to find the Savior. So as we come to our study, let's ask for the Lord's enablement. Father, we come to your word this morning. The scripture speaks of your word being eternal. The very sense that it will accomplish what you want it to do. And it will never perish. Truth is truth. And if it's true today, it's true tomorrow. If it was true a century ago, it's still true today. Truth does not change. It doesn't become error. So we thank you and praise you for that. Now there are people that teach error as though it were truth. Word is truth. You prayed that to your heavenly Father. taught what you want us to know concerning the truth perhaps there are others that I do not know about but Lord you know and we pray for them pray for Ida to her and bring her back to us the praise and glory of your healing power. We give you thanks. Amen. Our text before us today speaks 
Magi in Jerusalem. We read the first six verses in Matthew chapter 2. Where is the one who has been saw his heard this? He was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. That is something Herod did not want to hear. But whether he wanted to hear it or not, he was given the truth. The time of the Magi's arrival was in Bethlehem in Judea. It says so right here. So immediately we know that these Magi did not, they did not, Accompany the shepherds to the stable and the manger the night of Jesus' birth. Bible, Jesus and his parents were living in a house, verse 11. Clearly, it's in the text. In this text, verse 8, verse 9, verse 11, verse 13, verse 14, verse 20, verse 21. Seven times over, he is called a young child. Jesus. Two years old and younger, according to the time he had learned from the Magi. Verse 16. What did he learn from the Magi? Verse 7. The exact time the star had appeared. So you see, at the time of the Magi's arrival, Jesus was a toddler. He wasn't a baby in a cradle, in a stall somewhere. to the account whatsoever, but it goes up to point up all the more the wonder of the whole event. These men had been traveling from the day in which they saw, they say, his star in the east. The Greek here, his star in its rising. What does that mean? A new star, that's what it means. And since they were astronomers, they knew the stars of the heavens. They had their charts, they had their maps. And as 
as they did their work of astronomy, not astrology now. They're not mystics. They're scientists. They're studying the stars. And they notice, oh, hey, There's a new star. That wasn't there before. And they begin to contemplate what this might mean. Verse 7, the exact time the star had appeared. Like I said, this does no damage to the whole event. Thing from the day in which they saw the star it was a day in which traveling was hard it was slow it was arduous That like the Magi, we are also latecomers with regard to our search and discovery of the Christ. Is where we will find the best and the purest expression of the God. by literally thousands of men and women who have made their peace with God through the merit of Jesus' blood and righteousness. And these godly ancestors of ours have left us a legacy of Christian literature which demonstrates that they discovered the salvation of God in exactly the same way and in the same divine person as we, the Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel tidings delivered to the shepherds, announced by the angels the night of Jesus' birth, was not for Anglo-Saxons alone. Alone. Not for only those that speak English. The angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Lord. Luke 2, verse 10, 10 and 11. So Jesus is the long-anticipated Savior. Ever since the fall of man into sin by his own rebellion towards God, the world has awaited God's Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one. They've waited for their salvation. There are over 200 prophets are referred to in our text alone that foretold the coming of this child who would be God's own son and man's only savior. 
200 prophecies, more than. Men like the Magi, who knew something of their own need, would gladly travel the long and difficult route to worship at the feet of the one who alone could bring forgiveness and peace into their troubled lives. And I think that their late arrival only heightens the wonder of the account. I mean, think about this. These men did not travel a day or two, nor even a few weeks. No, months passed by. Then a year passed by. Then more months. Then two years later, from the time of the first appearing of the star, two years later they arrive in Jerusalem. We're told that they came from the east. Verse 1. Okay, but from where in the east? From Persia? Or maybe beyond? From Babylon? Both of which were noted for their magi, that is, their wise men. They're astronomers. Or were these desert travelers from as far away as India? Hmm. Well, we just don't know. All we know is that they began their quest for the Christ child the day they saw, verse 2, their words, his star. There was something about this star that told them, hey, this is brand new. We have been studying the heavens for years, but there's there's this star. And it moves. What kind of a star is that? We best go check this out. So they did. And they didn't give up. And they didn't become weary because the route was tedious and long and seemingly no end. What a rebuke to us how easily we are deterred from our search of the cross. Our jobs divert us down a different path. Family takes us down another path. Busyness in general crowds into our lives so that we are not wise men at all. Almost without conscious thought, the time of our search and discovery slips by and our lives, our opportunities for the most, are behind us. And still, we have no time 
for God. You know, the Bible says God has all the days for each one of us written in his book. Did you know that? Say, what are you talking about? I'm saying that your life is programmed by God to a certain set amount of days. And when those days are up, you're gone. You're gone from this life, this earth, but you're cast into the presence of God Almighty. Are we using the days we have to benefit our souls spiritually? Often not, and that's the folly of our age. In the day of these astronomers, We gripe about the present, we worry about the future, but when all is said and done, we do not seek out the one who can bring peace and joy to our trouble. Established in my career, but you know it never... find time for God and in this we are fools not wise now there are a number of Herods He put on religious airs whenever it was politically at. Of amphitheaters, public buildings, cities, aqueducts. and his political expertise in obtaining the rule of Judea by appointment as king over the Jewish provinces. And Herod allowed no
its course. Rather, he helped things along. family, which in earlier history had tried to deliver Israel from the the admiration of the people as well. her grandfather, who was a Jewish priest, her mother, and finally two of his And if he thought you were up to no good, you were up for being executed. Some of these cases, it's true that Miriam's family members were actually most of the accounts. These relatives of the Maccabean family were only a threat to Herod in his own mind. If Herod even thought that someone was a rival to his rule, he would arrange for their death. And all of these murders, which I have traced out for you, occurred before the Magi arrived on the scene in Jerusalem. So the streets are full of blood because of Herod. And this when he heard that strangers in Jerusalem from a far country, were in had heard this, he was disturbed. Oh boy. Yes, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Why would all Jerusalem be upset? Because they knew Herod. No, he can and has done in the past. 
The whole city is in drama. The stage was set once more for Herod in characteristic fashion. was predicted to be born we christians are not historical figure in the day well documented in the secular histories as well as the sacred histories the visit of the magi coincides already established himself as an able but bloody ruler. So what happened next is fully believable when considering the previous pattern of Herod's behavior. Now if you have problems accepting the truth of the biblical accounts, How is it that you have little or no problem believing the historical accounts of other men in the past? How do you know there was a Caesar Augustus who ruled over the Roman Empire? Or an Alexander the Great who preceded him in ruling over the Greek Empire? How can you be sure that there was a French general of distinction named Napoleon who met his defeat at the Battle of Waterloo? How do you know any of these things from the past? How do you know that they're true? Self? No, of course not. But you believe the history handed down by those who were living at the time. And one of the things you assume is that an observer of events can and will honestly describe. An eyewitness is the strongest testimony of what occurred. He go to a court. Got a lot of hearsay going on. Well, I thought I saw, I did, did that, and you hear all that. He's in the jury box, their ears pick up because they know we're not dealing with hearsay.
Hear now the words of Peter as he speaks on behalf of himself and the other apostles. Here's what Peter says. We did not follow. And the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were. I with. Second Peter one verse sixteen. The biblical historians are just as reliable in the things which they describe as the secular historians which you trust. So how do you know that? Well, in other words, there's no doctoring of the facts. Peter wrote a goodly portion of the New Testament. Because Peter became a changed man, as you know. So again, Peter tells us, We have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Above all, you must understand, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1, verse 19. <laughs> I hear that all the time. That's just your interpretation. Take my Bible, turn it towards them. They're completely dumbfounded. Just of what it's saying. Oh, then it isn't a prize. And you don't even believe in Jesus Christ. The word of God is not meant to be mysterious, hiding, cloudy.
light of the world coming to them in the person of the Holy Spirit and the word of God which he inspires. God isn't out to hide himself from people. He wants you to know him. He's written a whole book about himself so that you can. There are people who believe Josephus, the Jewish historian, or the journals of Claudius. What's the problem? Well, I would suggest to you that they have a problem with the miraculous events that are ascribed to Christ by the biblical authors. Even this business about a special star Yet I submit to you that the miraculous would not be so baffling if you were really to consider the person being discussed. Jesus put it this way. Is anything impossible for God? Depending on how you answer that, your skepticism. If Jesus is, in fact, God's uniquely begotten Son, then you will not Consequently, you should not expect to find the miraculous associated with anyone else. That what the Bible authors wrote concerning him is true. He's unique. He's God's son. Conceived not by another human being. Conceived through human sexual intimacy. You cannot into your own preconceived criteria for historical analysis. He doesn't fit. He's Emmanuel. The name means God with you're going to analyze God. Hmm. You know, even the Magi of the East, who were not Jews and had no knowledge of the prophecies concerning Israel's coming Savior, even they accepted the fact that the appearance of a special indicated the birth of a king. Verse 2. compelled by the evidence to travel hundreds of miles to participate in the adoration of the unique king. And these magi were the scientists of the They were not religious mystics. They were not groupies. They were not spiritists. They were not anything of the sort. Men who were used to investigating things from a scientific viewpoint, and their investigation led them to conclude that within Israel's borders, there was born a king worthy of worship. 
In other words, a king who was indeed God. If you have not come to this understanding of Jesus yet, it is not for lack of reliable evidence. The eyewitnesses have left us their histories. Your problem is unbelief and the bias of your heart against the God who's being described, your God, your creator, whether you acknowledge him or not. Having said that, what was Herod's response and the Magi's compliance with the will of God? Look at Herod's deception, verse 7 and 8. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. What do you think Herod is up to here? Well, he's up to his old paranoia. He sees this child in Bethlehem, as a real threat to his own political future. So he feigns devotion so that the Magi will go do the legwork for him and become his unwitting accomplices to murder. When they report back to Herod, Herod will have the Christ child killed. That's his plan. And by the way, this is not conjecture, on my part, look at verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. What had he learned from them? the date of the star's appearance, verse 7. Notice here that Herod, an intelligent man and a king of great importance, took seriously the Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus' birth. And he took seriously the arrival and the testimony of the Magi. His actions were predicated on their account. Herod thought he was successful in eliminating the Christ child. Of course he thought he was successful. 
he had killed off all the baby boys of that age. He had killed off other rivals, you remember. By this time, thinking that he was successful, he really was. Do not report back to Herod. Which he did that very night, verse 13 and 14. God is not at the mercy of men, it's men. Herod thought he had successfully hidden his murderous intent from the Magi. Well, I, I'd like to go worship him too, so if you'll just report back. And he's stronger than any cunning earthly king. Joseph, along with Mary and the Christ child, were long gone to Egypt before Herod's troops arrived in Bethlehem to carry out their barbarous orders. This again is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Hosea died that God's son would be a resident in Egypt for a while. Verse 15 of our text, Hosea 11, verse 1. Jeremiah had foretold the slaughter of the innocent children by Herod. Verse 18 of our text, Jeremiah 30. In a world controlled by a sovereign God, Nothing is left to chance. Nothing occurs, not even the dying of children, apart from God's foreknowledge and ordination. Nothing. Say, oh, pastor, I'm having trouble with this. What about the death of all those innocent two-year-olds and young Can't prove it, but I believe absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we're whisked away to glory. We must remember in all of this that there is a destiny of death prescribed for God's own Son, Jesus. A cross is coming on a hill outside of Jerusalem, and it is not for Herod to interrupt the plan of God. He thinks he's the boss, but he's not. Acts 2, verse 23. This man, referring to Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set knowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. 
And God is saying, you're, you're not in control. Another plan that through his death, redemption will come. you are trying to accomplish. Brethren, as well, are in the hands of God. Not the Herods, not the Hitler, not the Saddam Husseins of the world, not the fates, not chance, not Lady Luck, This is the God the Magi sought out in Bethlehem. And this is the God whom all men who are wise will seek out. What is more, if they seek him, God will cooperate with their search. Look at verses 9 and following. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. and They bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back, Herod, they returned to their country by another way. Had these magi traveled all this distance only to end up in the wrong town? Had their quests ended in a dead end? No. Not at all. God is in favor of men finding him and he will assist those who are sincere. Paul said to the Athenians, Greeks, the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life, breath, everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should live. And God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out, for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Now God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that is Christ. And he's given proof of this to all men by raising him, Christ, 
from the dead. Acts 17, verse 24 and following. Set him up for crucifixion. Never knew that when their death day came, they were going to have to face him on the other side in eternity. That's pretty scary. In fact, the scripture says it. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. Not some dead God. Oh, well, yeah, well, we, we put him on a cross, and then, then we stuck him in a tomb, and he's gone. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Yeah, you do. God raised him from the dead. God has become the judge. This is the same Jesus whom Herod tried to kill when he was a toddler. He's the same Lord. The Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke 2 verse 11. He's the same King whom the Magi of old worshipped with gifts of of gold and incense and myrrh. Verse 11. His ability to save sinners from the consequences of their sin is told by Peter. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. cross was God's answer to man's sinfulness. God saves him through punishing our sins in his son Jesus. This has this is why we are to seek God as wise men. This is why God commands all men to repent. The Savior has come. There is no other. The Bible puts it this way. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts 4 verse 12. And the resurrection of Christ is the proof of that statement. He was crucified. Yes, that's right. He really did die. Yes. But that's not the end. Christ is alive and is now the judge of all would-be contestants for heaven. How wise are you today? 
Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. There's no God. Don't sweat it. No God. Some here might confess, well, I would never say such a thing. Maybe not, but that may be the philosophy of your life. Nonetheless, what I mean is, fools are people who live their lives with little or no reference to God. God is an afterthought. He's someone for weddings and funerals. But the wise men put God first. And they found him. Have you found him? Are you looking? Would you know him if you saw him? Seek, yes, but be sincere in your seeking. Be restless about it until you're successful about it. This is what Christmas is all about. God sent a Savior into the world, his very own Son with the plan to become the redeemer of his people. Let us pray that you will be one of them, that you are one. And if you know Christ as Savior, today is a day of rejoicing. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for the great sacrifice of your life. came from glory to enter our world of sin. Sinful world because it was stained that way. The fall of Adam and Eve. But we have sure done our share of contributing to the blackness of our world, the sinfulness of it, through our own disobedience. So we ask, we plead with you today, show yourself the Savior and the Redeemer that you are. Stir our hearts. You have told us that of all that come to you, you will turn none away. So whatever we think in terms of, well, God wouldn't want me, or I have sinned so badly, there's no hope for me. Take those false lies out of our thinking, Lord, and bring us, draw us unto yourself. The scripture says, not the liars, but the scriptures say, today if you hear his voice, don't you harden your heart. Believe what God is doing as he stirs your heart. And we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. From Trinity Hymnal, the Red Hymnal, 200.
14. Let's stand together. Remember that today we have a luncheon downstairs and a time of fellowship. So let's pray and give thanks. Our Lord, we just praise and thank you for your sustenance to us, feeding us with the word of God, and now shortly to feed us uh, to strengthen our bodies for the service of our Lord. We do pray today in a special way for Phil and Ida. Phil, because of his remorse and his concern for Ida, very heart-wrenching time for him and for Ida, Lord, who's struggling to stay alive. Pray that you will raise her up. Lord, give her the breath 
that she needs, literally, that she can breathe clearly, strongly, bring her blood levels to where they need to be, and we'll praise you, Lord, for what you're doing for her. And we ask, Lord, with anticipation that we will see her again here on earth, completely healed and restored. We're asking that. We're pleading with that on the mercy of Jesus, in whose name we pray, with thanksgiving. Amen. Okay, downstairs. You know, we are going to have a five or ten minute break. Go stretch your legs, go to the bathroom, and meet back in here for our small music program. Oh, okay. Rachel, turn the mics off, please. Turn them, turn them off.
I'm just going to, yep, I know. Caught on it. Okay. Yeah. That's good she needs the program. I mean, she needs a book. Yeah. Water and books? This? If, if you go to Lucas, he's got one over. Okay, it's okay. I'll find it.
What was the key for someone who was just straight A student? Let's go ahead and bring her up. We wanted a word of prayer for her. Okay, well, before we begin, that's right. Fix the microphone in there. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Dan, would you? Say a word of prayer for us. Begin the service. Thank you.
child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping this this 
is the key in whom shepherds guard and angels sing.